DW Africa Link it is the 3rd of January as we kick off the Christmas holiday slumber and celebrate the new year. Hello and welcome to the program that keeps you up to date with what's happening in Africa and beyond. My name is Okerin Gushinado. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and share thoughts on the stories that we are covering. And this is what is coming up. Leone's ex-president, Anis Baikoroma, has been charged with treason. And in just two weeks, DRC's Felix Shisekedi will be sworn in for his second term. But a tough road lies ahead to stop insecurity and lift the economy. He should broaden the economy so that it does not depend only on the mining sector by promoting agriculture and the construction of energy infrastructure and land transport. And an expert explains why opposition candidates will not contest the results. So now that the election has been run the way it has been run, I rarely see the key opponents going to that court. Later, we will also bring you an update on Ethiopia's port deal with Somaliland. But first, here is the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. Sierra Leone's former president, Ernest Bai Koroma, has been charged with treason as part of investigations into a failed military attempt to topple the country in November. Gunmen attacked military barracks, a prison, and other locations in Sierra Leone, freeing over 2,000 inmates and killing more than 20 people. The charges were read out to the former president while he stood in the dock, and some of his supporters cried in the courtroom. More coming up on this on Africa Link. More than 100 people have been killed and several injured in explosions in southeastern Iran near the grave of Iran's top commander, Qasem Soleimani. State media say the blast occurred near the city of Karman. Mourners had gathered at a ceremony to mark four years since Soleimani was killed in a U.S. drone attack in Iraq. No group has claimed responsibility. Ali Fadola Nijar is the founder and director of the think tank Center for Middle East and Global Order, and he explains the possible and most likely options of those who carried out the attack. What is first uh, important to note is that within minutes, um, Iranian state media have identified uh, those bombings, uh, you know, being a terrorist attack. So basically, at this point, we cannot uh, know who is, uh, you know, behind this attack. uh, But um, Iranian state media is very much reporting about this incident, portraying it as being, um, you know, carried out by Iran's enemies, uh, probably Israel or the United States. Meanwhile, the blasts in Iran come amid rising fears that the Israel-Gaza war could spread after the killing of a top Hamas official in an explosion in Lebanon. The militant group's deputy political leader Saleh Arori and six others were killed in the strike on an apartment building in Beirut. But how big of a blow for Hamas Arori's death will be? Here is Andreas Craig, a Middle East risk analyst and associate professor at King's College, London. It was certainly important symbolically because he obviously uh, created the fighting wing of, uh, of, of Hamas. He certainly must have been one way or the other involved 
and knowledgeable of what happened on the 7th of October, what was going to happen on the 7th of October. He was a liaison between Hamas and Hezbollah, and thereby also a liaison between Hamas and Iran. It's never just one individual. So if you take the individual out, he will be most likely replaced by another individual. And it never had actually this sort of impact. I mean, none of the assassination campaigns that Israel has conducted across the region ever had an, a massive impact on the organizations that they were trying to weaken. Lebanon's state-run news agency said the attack was carried out by Israel. The Israeli government has stopped short of confirming it was behind the strike. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says that the country has reached a critical point as rescuers race to find survivors of the powerful earthquake that struck on New Year's Day and the dozens of aftershocks that followed. The death toll now has risen to 65 and there are fears that heavy rains predicted by forecasters could hamper the rescue work. And thousands of doctors in England have begun a six-day walkout demanding better pay. It will be the longest strike in the history of the state-run National Health Service and comes after talks with the government broke down. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. And you're still listening to Africa Link program coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany, the heart of Europe once again. My name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Okeri Ngushinato. We are also live on our Facebook page that is DW Africa. So be sure to leave your comments on the story that we're covering. I already see Monju Iranios. Happy New Year to you as well. And hello to David Chamba. Now on to our top story. Sierra Leone's ex-president Ernest Baikoroma has been charged with treason as part of investigations into a failed military attempt to topple the West African country. Uh, that was way back in November last year, or 2023, in the capital Freetown, where gunmen attacked military barracks, a prison and other locations in Sierra Leone, freeing about... 2,200 inmates and killing more than 20 people. We are now joined in the studios by our very own Boba Jalo. Boba, it's good to have you in the studios. Uh, first of all, first things first, this has come as a shocker for Anes Bayokoroma to be charged with reason. Not so many people expected this. Indeed, it did come as a char- uh, as a shocker there. As you mentioned earlier, people were actually crying at the court. It's, it's the magistrate court. And there was a letter actually from uh, ECOWAS president, uh, uh, Nigerian president Bolatinobu, they're asking for President Koroma to be uh, taken to um, Abuja so that uh, he could stay there for his own safety. But the government um, didn't say much. And then suddenly these uh, charges came out today. Yes. Tell us about Anis Bayokoroma and his co-accused. Who are the people that have been charged alongside the former president Bayokoroma? Now, 12 uh, former um, employees of uh, President Anis Bayokoroma actually were accused of involving in this attempted coup. Um, uh, some, some of these guys actually worked for Anes by Koroma, but mm. at the moment we don't know exactly uh, the sort of involvement, the role that Anes Koroma played in it. But if you look into the charges, that's where um, um, there are actually four charges on Anes by Koroma there. Um, one is treason itself, which is a capital offense in Sierra Leone. Mm. 
and uh, the other one is uh, misprision of treason. So this tells you a bit of uh, the, the sort of role that they are accusing Anis Barikoma for, because it's a misprision of treason. Definitely, uh, basically means that a deliberate um, attempt to conceal information about something or something treasonable. So he might he he's been accused of knowing about this attempted coup and did not report it. And the two other charges, these are uh, harboring, counts of harboring, and that means basically, uh, you know, harboring or providing um, accommodation to someone who has been charged or accused of committing treason. So it means that he knew he was involved in for and after this particular act. Probably these are some of the, I mean, these are the accusations against President Koroma. Well, Boba, before I let you off the hook, I know it's still too early to predict where this case, the direction it will take. But I'm sure that as a former head of state, he enjoyed some kind of support and his supporters must be livid, must be angry about, you mentioned that they cried in the court. Where do you see this heading? It's 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 uh, it's deeply troubling for a country like Sierra Leone with a very fragile peace. Uh, his party is the second biggest uh, party in Sierra Leone, the APC party, and the supporters are definitely not going to sit quietly about this. But I mean, as you said, it's a long way we have to go. This is actually a preliminary investigation at the magistrate court. There's also the high court and there's also the supreme court. So it's going to go all the way. It's a long, long battle. It's this is just the beginning. Thank you, Buba Jalo, for that insight. And uh, if you're listening to this story, it's a story that we're going to continue monitoring. We have a correspondent there, Karim Kamara, who will feed us with more information in our coming edition. That's correct. Okay, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's very true. But now, I mean, on to another story that we've also been monitoring, that is uh, DRC. It has been three days since DRC's Felix Shisekedi was declared the winner of the disputed December 20th presidential election. Now, um, Congo's uh, Electoral Commission, CENI, said that provisional results showed that Shisekedi won by 73% of the votes. Now, the Constitutional Court is yet to confirm the result, but rival candidates rejected it and are calling for protests. But a second term for Tsekedi will come with mounting challenges, among them insecurity and a disintegrating economy. He will also have to work on national cohesion and improve regional cooperation. To break it down for us further, he's Inis Wanjiru. At the start of his controversial first term, Tsekedi had promised to end the violence in eastern Congo, especially in the North Kivu province. Five years later, the situation has worsened. Unlike the previous conflicts, which involved about 200 armed groups with no political goals, Kinshasa today faces the powerful M23 rebel group. The group has seized large swaths of territory and is threatening to capture the North Kivu capital, Goma. With nearly 7 million people displaced because of the conflicts, Jason Stearns, director of the New York University-based Congolese research organization GEC, says Chisekedi would need to introduce comprehensive reforms that will make it possible to disarm all the militia groups. With more than 100 armed groups at the root of this insecurity, it's impossible to think of any sustainable peace solution in eastern Congo without consolidating government accountability. A second term will see Chisekedi having to forge a new regional cooperation strategy to overcome the growing rift between Congo and its East African community, EAC, partners.
A misunderstanding with Rwanda over the responsibilities of the grouping's troops in the fight against the M23 rebels has led to a friction between Congo and Kenya. There are tensions between Congo and Uganda too. Solving their security problem in eastern Congo will require stability among EAC member states, according to Yvonne Muya, a lecturer at the School of Conflict Studies at St. Paul University in Ottawa, Canada. The solution to the security problem in the East will require stability among the member states of the East African community. In any case, if it is necessary to negotiate with the real leaders of the M23, the Congolese government knows that it will have to resume negotiations with Rwanda. Chisekedi spent much of his first term traveling abroad to cultivate better relations with neighboring countries and attracting foreign investors, but without much success. His diplomatic efforts were hampered by numerous corruption scandals involving close associates and senior officials in his government. Under his administration, the value of the Congolese franc also continued to plummet, reducing the quality of life for the majority of citizens. With the incoming term, Israel Mutala, an expert on Congo's economy, says Chisekedi should focus on strengthening the mineral-rich country's economy. He should broaden the economy so that it does not depend only on the mining sector by promoting agriculture and the construction of energy infrastructure and land transport, especially roads and railways. There were some good observed in his first term, like the introduction of free primary education and free primary health care that enables women to give birth free of charge in public hospitals. But now Congolese are counting on him to ensure safety and a better economy. Eunice Wanjiro with that report. Uh, now the DRC elections have been described as chaotic with many irregularities observed. Yes, that's true, Isaac. Our opposition leaders, including main ones like Martin Fayulu and Lo- Nobel laureate Dennis Mukwege, have even decided not to petition the Constitutional Court, accusing it of bias and having judges that were handpicked by Chisakiri himself. Earlier, I spoke to Dr. Felix Ndahinda, a researcher on conflict and justice in the Great Lakes region, and asked him how much faith is there in DRC's um, judiciary. Let's take a listen. Uh, very little, to be honest. I mean, it's known to be one of the most corrupt across the planet, probably. Uh, judges in many places really uh, are easily bribable. Uh, and I'm talking of ordinary kind of cases. Uh, and I can speak from many uh, shared experiences. Um, so even the top court, it's known that it has been all of all the years, very politicized. Uh, it was the case under Kabila, and it is the case now. Already, that contestation of the the, the constitutional court was there was one of the key elements of the contentions going into the election. That certificate basically had uh, handpicked uh, the right people to basically see through whatever legal challenge that may occur after the election. That was already a very deep contestation before the election. So now that the election has been run the way it has been run. Uh, I rarely see the, the key opponents going to that court because they 
seem to believe that, and many people tend to believe that the, the, the decision already that the court would render is more or less less likely to be surprising, yeah. so besides no, yeah. confirming that the case is win. So no faith in contesting this election. Most likely. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Some might, of the opponents, there are around 18 plus of, of them might go there. But I have very, I mean, many already made a pronouncement, at least uh, I know from people like uh, Fahilu and, uh, um, and especially Moise Katun, saying that they will not go there because exactly they, they know what the outcome might be. Mm-hmm. Now, Shizakiri warned that once he is re-elected, he will wage war against neighboring Rwanda. The relationship between the two has progressively, it's getting worse. Do you see Shisekedi putting this threat into action? I mean, uh, it's difficult to tell, really, because he has been quite, uh, for a while, acting erratically, I may say. Uh, to wage a war, you need to have a confidence in your capabilities of winning it. That, that's what a rational, let's say, commander-in-chief does in any country. We know already that, uh, I mean, Congo has been unable to to, 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 to to take back North Kivu's zones controlled by M23 for many months already, nearly more than a year. And I doubt whether the, 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 the and that was the Congolese army even using quite a number of other, of other resources, mercenaries, and, and even leaning on uh, armed militias, officially now backed by Chisekedi as per his latest interviews. And uh, thinking that he can go past that reality to start now a formal open war with a neighbor, uh, probably that might be a, a big miscalculation. Now, I can't tell whether that will happen. Mm-hmm. Now, Chisekedi will be sworn in in two weeks. What should his priority be? So, peace should be priority number one. But also, of course, the development. He has promised many different things already in the first mandate. But he had promise, I mean, but he, and he made a lot of other promises today. But Congo still remains really that oddity in international affairs. It's one of the richest, richest countries on planet Earth, but it's really one of the most deprived in terms of the well-being of the population, but most importantly also of infrastructural development. There is no road connecting uh, Kinshasa to Goma. There's no road. And in any country, that, 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 that's problematic. So working out development in terms of infrastructure and in terms of the well-being of the people uh, should be a top priority. Mm-hmm. And that can only be achieved if there is a real genuine fight of the corrupt system that has been institutionalized in the country. I was speaking earlier to Dr. Felix Ndahinda, a researcher on conflict and justice in the Great Lakes region. Now, Democratic uh, Republic of Congo opposition leader Martin Fayulu is also urging the public to protest the outcome of the elections. Fayulu, who came in third, is demanding an annulment of the vote he says was a sham. Yes, indeed. As usual, opposition leaders in the DRC hardly accept defeat. Mm-hmm. And this time, but this time round, the catch-22 is that they won't be contesting the results. Mm-hmm. It gives us so much pleasure always to involve you in the stories that we are covering. And straight to the comments, Mamad Saidu Balde says, African politicians hardly accept defeat. Mm-hmm. Be the opposition or the incumbent, anyone who loses will allege rigging. They always call for protests and disobedience, but they never allow their t- children to go near them. And Davis Mundaya says there's absolutely no way Shisekedi won by that percentage. The results were cooked, concocted and twisted to suit him. And that's what we call democracy in Africa. 
The Dims Aboy says, we, the Congolese, voted for Tshekedi because he has done many things for our country, especially in education. No Congolese student is paying for their studies. And the final one here from Ete Fali, he says, Martin Fayulu always refuses election results. So the election, he thinks, must favor him before he accepts them. Many thanks for those comments. Keep them flowing on our Facebook page, DW Africa, or Kerry and I will happily read them live here on air. And in case you're just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link program. We broadcast from every Monday to Friday. To remind you, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Okeri Ngushinado. And like Isaac said, we're also live on our Facebook page, that is DW Africa, where you can leave your comments on the story that we're covering. I see Lambert Kevin also commenting here, Happy New Year to you, Isaac, in the studio. And there's also Solomon Noisemaker. We welcome all of you to the show. And uh, to remind you, our top story today, former Australian President Anes Baikoroma has been charged or found guilty for treason. It's a story that we are covering and monitoring very closely in the next edition. We shall give you details and reactions from Freetown. But in the next 15 minutes, we'll be hearing how tribal divisions in Zambia threaten to tear the country's unity apart. Tribal groupings come up. When a certain tribe or region feel that they are being sidelined so that they begin to push for what rightfully belongs to them. And this is what has happened. Well, okay, that story will mm-hmm. come much later. And I'm looking forward to hearing what the politicians always have to say about unity. And as promised, uh, it's a story that we covered also on our previous edition here. It's about Somaliland, Somalia and Ethiopia. So now this is the new twist. The European Union has insisted that Somalia's sovereignty should be respected after Ethiopia signed a controversial deal with breakaway Somaliland. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Memorandum of Understanding signed by Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and Somaliland leader Musebihi Abdi at the start of this week gives gives Ethiopia access to the Red Sea port of Bebera and a lease military base. Well, Ethiopia's economy has been constrained by its lack of maritime access and Bebera port, as mentioned by Okeri, offers a gateway to the Red Sea and further north to the Suez Canal. Amaka Okoye has more. At a special parliamentary session, a defend Somali president, Hassan Sheikh Mohamud, once again warned that Somalia will never give away an inch of its territory. No one has the power to give away a piece of Somalia. Our grandfather refused it. Our forefathers refused and our mothers refused. We ourselves refused to give our land and it is not possible. Somali people will never accept it. Somalia, which views Somaliland as part of its territory, also summoned its ambassador to Ethiopia for deliberations over the agreement signed by Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and Somaliland leader Musebihi Abdi on Monday. Surafail Gatahun, a political and international relations lecturer at Diridawa University in Ethiopia, told DW that Somalia recalling its ambassador in Addis Ababa for consultations could dent relations between the two countries that have been built over time. Recalling the ambassador could impact negatively relations between the two countries. 
In the last 10 years, Ethiopia sacrificed a lot of resources in fighting the Al-Shabaab Islamists. Therefore, the signing of the memorandum could deteriorate the relations between Somalia and Ethiopia and bring the entire region to a crisis. Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud also reminded that Somaliland will always remain part of Somalia. Somaliland, you are the northern regions of Somalia and Ethiopia has no recognition of you. If Ethiopia claimed it gave you recognition, then it is not a recognition that exists. Somaliland's Interior Minister Mohamed Kahin told reporters on Tuesday that Somaliland could never accept the position taken by Somalia on the deal with Ethiopia, adding, and I quote, We ask Somalia to apologize for its claim that Somaliland is part of Somalia, end of quote. The deal comes months after Abi said his country, Africa's second most populous, with about 120 million people, would assert its right to access the Red Sea, sparking concerns among its neighbors. However, Getahum, the political and international relations lecturer at Diredawa University in Ethiopia, thinks Abi's administration is cash-strapped and will find challenges in developing the seaport. In my view, Ethiopia doesn't have the capacity to develop the port. At the moment, Ethiopia has a lot of economic and security problems. That's why it will be difficult for Ethiopia to achieve its goal of developing the port in Somaliland. Somaliland, a former British protectorate of about 4.5 million people, has been seeking full statehood since claiming independence from Somalia in 1991. But the move has not been recognized internationally and is fiercely opposed by Mogadishu, although in reality the central government exercises little authority over the region's affairs. The two Horn of Africa neighbors have a history of stormy relations and territorial feuds, fighting two wars in the late 20th century. Amaya Okoya with that report. Now we move to Southern Africa. In Zambia, the formation of tribal groupings is causing anxiety. Many tribes in some of the 10 provinces of Zambia are forming groups saying that they want to foster cohesion and developmental activities. Concerned Zambians fear that such groups could promote tribalism and undermine the unity established by Zambia's founding fathers like Kenneth Kaunda. From Lusaka, Glenn Mushinge sent this report. Northern, Eastern, Lopula and Southern are among the provinces that currently have tribal groupings in Zambia. The ruling United Party for National Development, UPND, is agitated by former politicians and government officials behind the formation of these groups. However, the opposition Zambia Republican Party President Wright Msoma blames the current leadership for not distributing development packages equitably. Tribal groupings come up when a certain tribe or region feel that they are being sidelined so that they begin to push for what rightfully belongs to them. And this is what has happened. We would like to appeal to Haka Inde Ichlema to relook at the way he is running this country. Shalakateka, the leader of the New Heritage Party, wants President Hakainde Hichilema's ruling party to foster unity and dialogue among all Zambians, regardless of their regional affiliations. 
We Zambians from all regions only want what is fair and just for all of us and our children. We would like to see an equitable distribution of the national cake. This can and must be done. But European parliamentarian Newton Samakai disagrees. He told the local media recently that all provinces' budgets are scrutinized and agreed upon in parliament. How could it be that the budget for Eastern Province is reduced? At what level is it reduced? There's no such a thing. So let's not hide. If you have narrow interests, just come out. Outright condemnation and bashing of such groups or individuals who raise concern will not deal with the problem, according to opposition leader Chishala Kateka. Those setting up the regional groupings state that they are doing so to pursue developmental agendas. However, they are being attacked and accused of being tribalists and regionalists. Wisdom dictates that we must willingly deal with this time bomb now rather than being forced to do so after that bomb has erupted and go through the process of costly reconciliation and truth commissions as well as the unnecessary loss of lives. The opposition wants all stakeholders, including the church, to step in and address the issue before it gets out of hand. That was Glory Mushinge reporting there. Now, before we wind up, let's remind you our big story of the day. Sierra Leone has charged former president Ernest Bayokoroma with treason and other offenses for his alleged role in what authorities have called an attempted coup on November mm-hmm. 26th, according to authorities. Mm-hmm. And we also still have comments coming on our Facebook page. Ibrahim Bari says, for the past five years, Ernest Koroma has been undermining the elected president with his APC political parties with riots and now the coup plot to overthrow the government. Well, like we said, uh, our, our correspondent in Freetown will tell us more about that story. But in the meantime, already ECOWAS, uh, through its chairman, the president of Nigeria, had requested that he be transferred to Abuja, I mean, for the sake of safety. Mm-hmm. Also, back in the years, I should say this, that uh, former Liberian President Charles Taylor was transferred to Nigeria to avoid any sorts of insecurity. We shall come back to, to this story because of time we have to leave. And until tomorrow, same time, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And this has been Okiri Ngushinado until tomorrow. DW Made for Mind.